And the boy grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Luke 2:52. Just a good old boy trying to be a good old man out here learning on the fly trying to do the best I can. Hello and welcome to the Faithful Fatherhood podcast. I am Brett Etheridge. Pleased to be with you from Knoxville, Tennessee, joined as always by Perry Hughes. Perry, welcome. Happy to be here this morning, Brett. Stoked to be here. Stoked to see you. Happy for the listeners to be joining in. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Yeah, and I am especially pleased that you are here because that means that you survived your your small, I, I would say, motorcycle accident last night. Although I guess anytime you're falling off a motorcycle at 30 plus miles per hour, uh, it's never a small thing. So glad you're doing okay. That is true. I am, if anybody's um, stressing right now as they hear that, don't stress. I'm okay because uh, the Lord is with me and it happens to be that I, I have what it takes. Maybe we'll talk a little bit about that motorcycle accident later. But the quick story is a dog ran out in front of me um, as I was, you know, a quarter mile away from my house. I rode probably four hours yesterday all up on the blue ridge parkway down around Asheville, big twisty roads having a great time some on the highway and then you know i'm i'm rolling in at night after dark and my neighbor's dog darts out right in front of me from the shadows i could not dodge the thing so i tagged it and uh, went down pretty quick sounds mysterious and yep. the good news <laughs> is you weren't going 60 miles an hour or 70 miles an hour and uh you survived it so Pleased to hear that. And, you know, we're going to talk a lot about adventure. So certainly riding motorcycles is an adventure. Uh, I'd be curious maybe to learn a little bit about sort of when you started on motorcycles, why they scare the heck out of me. I know too many people who have died on motorcycles. I'm sure, sure you hear that all the time. But it's certainly a sense of, you know, adventure and proving that you have what it takes and so forth, which is which is really what we're going to talk about in today's episode. So if you're just joining us for the first time, we have been going through a book by John Eldridge called Fathered by God, where he lays out the stages of the masculine journey. And we have talked about the boyhood stage already on this podcast. And today we're going to talk about really that second stage, what he calls the cowboy stage. And uh, and, and we're going to get into aspects of how do we become men? When do we become men? How do we initiate our own kids into really manhood during this crucial phase of their masculine journey? If you don't have kids in this age age range, that's totally okay. Let's, let's self-reflect and think about our own journey through this stage. And maybe there are ways that even as grown men today, we never really did fully embrace or be fathered through these, this all important stage of becoming a man in the right way. You know, I mean, we're, we're men in the sense that our age tells us that we are men, but sometimes in our heart, we haven't fully embraced and become men. So we are going to talk about all of that. But before we do, let's start as always with sharing just a couple of quick wins from the week. Perry, I'll, I'll throw it back to you. Did you have any fatherhood wins this past week? I did. One of them most recently came yesterday. Yesterday was kind of a wild and gnarly day from start to finish. So in the same day that uh, a dog ran out in front of me and I T-boned it on the bike and got thrown down. Uh, also, we had a bit of a blow up at our job site, which is our new business location. Um, and it was between uh, some carpet installers and myself, as well as the owner of the building. And things got pretty heated. 
And it was an interesting moment of, you know, men standing nose to nose, toe to toe uh, over some things really about a respect issue. So we wanted the carpet done in a certain way. And the installers were basically saying, um, tough, deal with it. I don't care if you're the paying customer, we're doing it my way. And it really was a way of cutting corners and not doing things with excellence. Um, and so we just weren't okay with that. And the, the carpet installer was disrespectful to me in a, in a crude way as I was inspecting his work. And so I stood up, leaned into him real close, real calm, real personal, nose to nose, and said, I don't appreciate you talking to me like that. And I said that in a tone with, you know, there was no threat. There was no, you know, verbal threat of violence or anything like that. But I let him know, hey, you can't talk to me like that. Don't do it again with my tone of voice and my body language. And he took about three steps back and realized, oops, across the line. He put his hands up, walked backwards. Anyway, long story short, uh, another gentleman came in, found out what was going on and just absolutely flew off the handle. You know, I mean, really got emotionally, verbally escalated. You know, the whole situation went, you know, up to DEFCON 12 or whatever. And so I was able to debrief with my oldest son, JP, who happened to be present at the time and talk to him about the advantages of, as men, there's value in the fact that we, of course, are going to become emotional at times. Of course, we're going to walk through that. But the more we can do as boys, as, as my son, my oldest two sons are in the cowboy phase, as they're growing into their manhood, the more they can do to work on regulating their emotions, even in the midst of conflict, the more equipped they're going to be to be successful. Now, that's equipped to be successful if things ever do escalate into a fist fight, if you're just seeing red and you're raging and you're, you're not in the right place. Now, I, I don't advocate fist fighting. You know, um, I don't think we should just go around fighting people all the time. But I do know that we're not in control of others, and sometimes things will happen out of your control. And if you if you find yourself in that situation, it's best if you can be calm and level-headed uh, to think through things. But I was able to talk to him about a specific example. I was detailing our day uh, with JP, and I said, hey, we're going to do this and this and this. I'm going to drop you off here, and then I'm going back home. He really wanted to go back home, and he said, uh, okay, fine. And I could hear in his tone of voice that it wasn't fine, that he really wanted to do the other approach. And I I had the moment in the debrief over the escalated conflict at the job site and his stuffing the emotion of, I don't like what you're telling me, dad. I'm just going to say it's fine and pretend like nothing's wrong. And I was able to tie those two things together and say, listen, son, I know you want to make me proud. I know you want to please your father, but you need to, it's important to get to the point where if I tell you something that you don't like, you, I would like for you to begin to step into the confidence and the confrontation of saying, I don't like that. That doesn't make me happy. I'm not cool with that. And I said, you want to lean into the conflict and address it in the moment in a kind and inappropriate and in a loving way. But if all you ever do is suppress the conflict and say, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine, then you're creating an opportunity for an explosion to happen later in a different situation. So it was an awesome teachable moment with my oldest son 
in that in that arena today of managing our emotions or yesterday, I mean, of managing emotions, leaning into conflict and how that's valuable. And I wasn't raised to lean into conflict and I'm a people pleaser and I've always avoided conflict. Well, I, most of the time I've avoided conflict in my life. And so I want to raise my son to lean into, raise all my kids to lean into conflict um, in a loving and, and respectful way, but they need to be able to voice those opinions, you know? Cool. Well, thank you for sharing that. I about, What's your quick, what's, what's something that's a win for you, a positive, a, a thing in the right direction this week? It was a way that I handled a come to Jesus meeting with my middle son in a slightly different way than maybe we have in the past. So <laughs> uh, Benjamin, my middle child, needed to be fathered, let's let's put it that way, uh, around how he has been handling his Chromebook. So all, all of all of the kids at the school my my boys go to get a Chromebook for use for homework and doing presentations and uh, looking things up and, and research and so forth, which is great. But it also opens the door to potentially abusing that privilege, not in any sort. He's only 10 years old, so it's not like he's you know, Googling things that he shouldn't be aware of yet and, and looking at YouTube videos he shouldn't be watching or anything like that necessarily. It's more respecting the boundaries that are placed on the Chromebook namely the fact that it's really only to be used for homework. And so he's playing games that maybe he's not supposed to be playing on it, especially when we've restricted his screen time. He is on that Chromebook after hours when he's not supposed to be on it. He's sort of sneaking it. And so there are some character issues around it. And we became aware of some of these issues, and it was time to have a conversation with him about that. My wife was steaming mad. I was very displeased with him as well. And in the past, we have not always handled those conversations the best way in the sense that we call him in, we're steaming mad, and we just start sort of laying into him and showing him what he did wrong, and you're going to do this, this, and this, and these are the consequences, and blah, 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 blah. And he came in, and he was getting ready for the same old, same old, and you know, I just... I just said, we're just going to do this differently. Let's pray about it first. Let's pray. Cool. And I prayed I prayed blessing over him. And I prayed uh, to make sure that he knew that he was loved, that he is a boy of good character, that his he, he was created by his creator to, to grow into a man of integrity and, and a boy of good character. And, and I just prayed for, for our words during the conversation. And it just, it visibly shifted the whole tone of the room, even for my wife, for him, he received it so much better because oftentimes, you know, he'll just sit there on the edge of his seat, clearly annoyed. He'll say all the right things and nod his head. And yeah, yeah, I know everything. I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. And the behavior doesn't always change. And right. And this time his, he, he he just seemed to visibly sort of receive it differently. And, I don't know. We'll see if the proof's in the pudding. I mean, we'll see if he alters actions. That's really where where you find that out. But at least in the moment, I feel like it was a much better conversation as a result of sort of stepping in and setting a different tone through prayer at the outset. That's amazing. What What a great inspiration that is for me. And I'm sure all of our listeners to sit down and pray on the front side of that. And what a testimony to the reality that God shows up. You know, God is a God who shows up all the time. You can count on him time and time again. Now, disclaimer, he may show up in a way that we don't expect him to, right? But he shows up. And that's really cool to hear that testimony of we're going to, you 
following the lead of the Holy Spirit and going, hey, look, we're going to do this different. Let's pray over this time. And to be able to tangibly feel and experience the emotional difference in that time for you, your bride, your kid. It's awesome, man. Stoked. Good job. Thank you. And so now let's transition a little bit and talk about, about the cowboy phase. And I've been I've been really excited about this particular episode, and we'll probably do follow-up episodes where we bring some guests on to talk and share their experiences as well. But Perry and I both have older sons really sort of right at the beginning stage of what John Eldridge calls the cowboy stage. He sort of defines it as the time period between really sort of your the beginning of your teenage years. So I have a 12-year-old. JP's 14, is that right? That's right. JP's 14 and Liam is 12. And so I consider both of these boys, JP the eldest and Liam at 12, to be right on the front side of the cowboy stage. And I think really one thing that I want to make a point of is Liam's hitting the cowboy stage a little quicker than JP. You know, so we talk about, okay, it's this range of ages, 12, 13, you know, JP really didn't start to lean in to that cowboy stage until he was, you know, probably solidly 13. And Liam seems to be leaning into it a little sooner. And I think that's probably because he has an older brother. He's the second child. It may be part of because of his demeanor and his nature. He's always been a kid who's matured quickly. You know, uh, he's, you know, old and wise for his age. So it might be partly his just wiring. And it might be partly that he's the second son. So for anybody out there listening, you know, we don't want to say it's, it's okay, exactly at 13 until, you know, 21 is cowboy. Well, it's a range. It's, 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 you know, it's more free flowing than that. That's exactly right. And I would say, you know, part of what we're going to do is, is really just try to get you thinking and be more conscious of what we're trying to accomplish with our children during the cowboy phase perhaps more importantly, what your kids are thinking about and wanting to experience and needing to experience during this phase. And I think the more you become aware of it and conscious of it, you're able to put your kids in situations to grow in the cowboy phase. And a story I'll share here in a moment, I actually did with my 10-year-old. So Benjamin, you know, he's still technically in the boyhood phase and yet can he start to experience some of the adventure and answer the question of, do I have what it takes? And and that's really what the cowboy phase is all about. So I'm actually going to read just a quick sentence or two that I think really summarizes the idea here from Fathered by God, the cowboy chapter, page 80, if you're following along in the book. And, and it really is summarized as follows, quote, the boy becoming a young man has a question with a capital Q. And the question is, do I have what it takes? Profound question. That's the underlying question that your sons and daughters, by the way, are asking themselves as they transition out of the childhood, the boyhood phase into really their adolescence. He continues, quote, it is a father's job to help him get an answer, a resounding yes. That's right. That the boy himself believes because it has come through experience. And end quote. And so, and John Eldridge talks about how we can help our children answer that question: Do I have what it takes? Through number one, adventure, and number two, hard work. 
So the question we're going to explore today with some stories and examples is how, how do we equip our sons and daughters to answer that question? And let me actually ask you first, Perry, maybe a slightly different question. When did you first feel like you became a man? Because I think that's part of this, the answer. It's like we're transitioning from a boy to a man during this phase. And if this phase extends into our early 20s, perhaps, hopefully by the time we're in our early 20s and now ready to transition into the warrior phase, we are men. But what does that mean to become a man? Sure. Such a great question. I'm excited to explore it a little bit today. And I want to preface it with two words that to me, and it ta- and John Eldridge talks about these two words in the book, and they really resound with me as I reviewed the chapter in preparation for our time today. The two words that came out in the comparison between manhood and boyhood are strength and courage. And so there's a lot of things that boys have, responsibilities, roles, you know, leadership. You can have all those things as a boy, right? Uh, you can have understanding. You can even have wisdom as a boy. You can have commitment. You can have discipline, all these things, right? But to me, those two words of strength and courage are, that's a, that's a defining line, a difference between a boy and a man. And so, and it's not that boys can't have a level of strength. It's not that boys can't have a level of courage, but stepping into those and being the fulfillment of strength and courage, not just for ourselves, but for others is a huge part of being a man. And for me, I think my cowboy stage was a little bit misguided because I wasn't fully initiated into it. It was filled with partying and and wiling out and, and, acting crazy, acting the fool, you know, getting in trouble, being delinquent, all those types of things was how I, how that cowboy energy of do I have what it takes answering that question in my teenage years, you know, manifested with me experimenting with uh, drugs, experimenting with partying, experimenting with climbing on the roofs of cars and surfing as we're going down the street, right? So these are misguided ways that an uninitiated boy is going to lean into those things to because you're going to answer the question, do I have what it takes? And so for me, it was through thrill seeking and partying, et cetera. But I think really, as I look back on it and the first time that I, and those things aren't going to make you feel like a man, by the way, right? Stripping on the hood of car might be fun. If somebody tells you it's not fun, they're lying. It is fun. Now it's not worth it, but it's fun, but that's not going to make you feel like a man. It might give you a little adrenaline rush. But for me, the first time I really and truly felt like a man, I was a little older. I was in my young 20s. I was married by this point. I got married pretty young, 22 years old. My wife and I lived in our own house that we built. And everything's easy going. You know, we've been living in the house for a few months, probably. I don't remember exactly. It was over 20 years ago. And all of a sudden, there's a big bump in the night. And I'm the man of the house right? It's me and my wife, nobody else. Well, I I say nobody else, God is with me. And I want to come back and loop around to that. Um, And so a bump in the night happens as a married man. And there's a moment of, of, there's a sobering moment. Like, oh, dang, this is on me. This is up to me to figure this out. 
So I stepped into manhood and I got up, I grabbed my grandfather's World War II issue 1911 45 ACP sidearm that is now mine through uh, handing down over the generations. And I cleared the house. I never cleared a house before. You know what I mean? I don't have military training or anything, but um, I chambered around and walked through the inside of the house, made sure everything was secure. All the windows were locked. Nobody's in the house. I checked in all the behind all the shower curtains and all the closets. I mean, ev everywhere. No stone unturned. I looked all through my house. And then I flipped the floodlights on. I walked around the perimeter outside, make sure there's nobody out there, you know, uh, and in hindsight, it's probably the house settling or creaking or something. There's a log cabin. Those things settle. They make noises. They creak. Buildings make noises as they shift and move. But as a young 22-year-old man, you know, that was, a, that was a big moment in my life. And I would say, really, as I've reflected back, that's, that is the, the prominent, like, shift-defining moment. It wasn't like standing up at the altar saying I do, you know, promising to love my wife through, you know, better or worse and all those things. Uh, it wasn't going to work. I guess going to work, as I think back of it, my first day at my real job being the provider for the house and the family, that there was a moment I remember walking out the door um, and, and really feeling like a, a man at that point too. That, that memory just popped into my head right now. So doing that was a part of it too. Uh, but yeah, the most, the most predominant one that was like feeling like, okay, I'm, I'm a man now was protecting my wife in the midst of a perceived danger in the middle of the night and checking the house to make sure everything was clear and secure. Did the courage come naturally to you or was your heart beating out of your chest the whole time? And what was your sense after you climbed back into bed? Were you proud? Sure. My heart was definitely beating out of my chest. I was, I was fearful, you know, and I think that's the definition of courage is taking action that needs to be taken in the midst of fear, right? Because if you're not afraid of something, then you're, there's no, then courage doesn't exist. And so, yeah, I was, man, my heart was pounding. I, I guess maybe if there was a bad guy in the house, he ran off from the drum beats. You know, <laughs> it was actually my heart beating in my chest. Um, but, but yeah, it was it was a very very intense moment uh, moments, you know, scene. And then after coming back to bed, I certainly didn't fall asleep right away, you know, because of the adrenaline. I'm sure, uh, but I did. There was a proud moment. There was there was a proud feeling of um, I do have what it takes. You know, I didn't back down from that challenge. I didn't pick up the phone and call the police and go. Oh, there's something something bumped in our house. We need you guys to come check it out. Yeah. You know, you're going to take care of it yourself. Yeah. Took care of it myself and it felt great. And it, it, it was a very affirming, you know, into my manhood, into my masculinity, into thinking, okay, I do have what it takes. And then you walk out the rest of your life, literally with a different posture, because 100%. now there's an internal knowing that you do have what it takes. That's and right. until you answer that question, I, I suppose, you know, the conclusion or, or the thesis would be that you don't 
You haven't fully entered manhood until you have answered that question, even if that doesn't come until your 30s, your 40s, your 50s. That's and that's right. why it is so important for us to help our kids have opportunities to answer that question when they're in their teen years or early 20s so that we don't have a whole lot of boys in men's bodies in their 20s and 30s and 40s. Yeah, that's right. 100%. 100%. Well, Brett, I want to put it back to you. How about you? When as you look back and reflect on your masculine journey, you know, your your evolution or transition from a boy into a full-fledged man, what comes to mind for you? To me, two experiences come to mind that were the times that I feel like I was able to answer that question, do I have what it takes? I a lot of times people are asked this question and, and their answers are, you know, when I got my first car or when I had my first job or whatever, but I don't think it's necessarily a specific time as much as a process, right? So the process of feeling like a man sort of evolves over a series of answering those questions. And, and the first time was actually on a job site. So one of the things John Eldridge talks about is hard work. And I was fortunate enough um, to have a job sort of through high school that required a lot, of, a lot of manual labor, a lot of hard work. I actually worked for a sign company. Doesn't sound all that glamorous. Doesn't maybe sound like hard work. But the way we did it was like a lot of hard work. What? Like billboard signs? Like, or like um, Yeah, not even necessarily like billboards, but they would make – signs that companies could use to promote to promote their companies and things like that but the but the real thing we did and and the thing that I worked on the most in the summers was this was a company that got hired to do all the signage at golf tournaments, PGA and LPGA golf tournaments. So if you show up to these tournaments, there are signs everywhere, like hospitality tent this way and all of the signs on, you know, all the sponsor signs on the tee boxes and all of this types of type of thing. And and I remember the first time I got to go on site with this company, and it was long days. I mean, it's the middle of the summer. I remember one one year we went up to like Michigan, and it was hot in Michigan in the middle of the summer and swampy and humid and all this stuff. And you're working literally from the, the second the sun comes up until the, after the sun goes down, and you're using flashlights to put these signs up. So it was long days, long hours, and just putting in the physical work. But I remember, I remember the first time I showed up, and – and my boss literally said, okay, here's a post hole digger and, <laughs> and 18, yeah, like 18 of these four by four posts that I need to go basically tee box to tee box, all 18 tee boxes on this golf course. I've got to dig holes. I've got to put these signs in. I've got to tamp them down. I have a level to make it straight. And yeah. I've never done anything like this in my life. <laughs> And he literally turned me loose. He goes, don't come back until all of these 18 things are up. And it took That's hours. Awesome. And it yeah. was hard. And I had blisters on my hand and all this. Yes. But the thought was, he thinks I have what it takes. Yeah. He at least trusts me enough to turn me He didn't even go to the first one to show me how to do it. He was just like, here's the goal. Go figure it out. I trust you to get this job done. I've got too much other work to do. That's right. And I spent all day in the hot sun digging holes and putting posts up and tamping them down. And I came back and I did it. I had figured it out. And there was just this sense of accomplishment. Like, 
okay, I can I can be given a task and I can do that task even if it, even if it involves a skill that I didn't previously have. I can learn that skill. I can execute that skill. I can stick with the job until the job is done. And so there was a lot of learning that summer, but specifically I remember that particular moment. Yeah, that's great. And what a testimony to the power of someone else believing in you. That's right. And then also the idea of leadership and giving young men, uh, uh, budding men, young adolescents, a job that's not over their head, right? I mean, he didn't, he didn't give you a job that was 100 signposts for the day, right? Or he didn't give you a job that was... Take this chainsaw out into the woods and chop down the trees and make the posts and all of make that. Make the posts, yeah. right? Or, hey, build some billboards. These need to be 20 feet off the ground. Here's the lumber. You know, he didn't give you that job. He gave you a job that was challenging yet achievable. And I think that is often, you know, what we want to strive for as fathers raising men and initiating boys into manhood is finding the balance of not overworking them, not setting them up for failure, um, but setting them up to experience hardship and challenge and and be equipped to rise to the occasion. I love that. So I think that's a great combination of having your leadership believe that you can do it. And that empowers you, right? You're knowing like, oh, well, this guy thinks I can do it. Cool, I can do it. And then also it being a task that was, you know, yeah, challenging. You had probably blisters. Those blisters probably took a week to heal, you know? And, but every time you look at one of those blisters the week after, I mean, that was probably like a little badge of honor. I mean, right? Like you could kind of look at that and be like another, you know, wave of pride would probably come over you in the job well done, you know? That's right. That's a good balance to, to do that as, as fathers is to give our kids a challenge, but not too much of a challenge. For me, I, sometimes, I think maybe sometimes I err on not enough of a challenge. I don't know. What about you? In terms of what we give to our kids? Mm-hmm. I th- Yes, I agree with that completely. And and we're going to talk here in just a moment about uh, how to initiate our kids through that. And yeah, there's definitely a balancing act there. And I think it's okay to to over-challenge them and put them as in a position where they actually might fail at the given task because then we have the opportunity to to father them through that and to help coach them through that and realize that just because you fail doesn't mean you need to quit. We talked in the last episode about the growth mindset. You're not immediately always going to succeed the first time at everything that you are attempting. And right. so, yeah, I think I think in some cases it would be better to over-challenge than to under-challenge. Uh, but that's also part of, I think, knowing your kid. Some kids maybe need to stair-step into some of those challenges a little bit more than the other kids who are ready to to take off huge chunks of responsibility at a time. That's right. That's right. And I think failure is a good thing. Failure is not the issue. Even setting them up for failure is not the problem. I think, and, and John talks about it in the book, a wound in this stage of life comes from repeated failure without the voice of wisdom of a father to help them interpret the failure, right? So it's all about the relationship. It comes back to the relationship with our kids. Are we investing the time? Are we investing the intentionality 
of debriefing failures with our kids, of talking to them about how the failure is a good thing. It doesn't mean they are a failure. It just means they failed at this task, which is an opportunity for reflection and growth and all those good things that come from a failure, you know, and these are all good things, but it takes, it takes a boy having that wisdom from the father to help them interpret that so that they don't go down this downward spiral of the wrong direction, right? That's exactly right. And in fact, let, let's go ahead and transition and, and really put a stamp on what we're talking about now. I had another example that maybe I'll save for the warrior episode. It was a moment where I felt ready to step into my calling and really sort of the professional stage of my life. And it was very much an answer, a, a positive answer to the question, do I have what it takes in, in my early 20s? Um, so I, I did have a few of those moments where I think for me, again, it was a series of events over my adolescence into my early 20s. 20s, where I sort of had a crescendo of building to be able to answer that question rather than one moment that it's like, okay, I'm a man now, you know, it was never, it was never that for me. But thinking about now to our kids, really, I think there are three ways we can initiate our kids in as cowboys, you know, actively. And, and the first one is to consciously think about ways to put them in positions for adventure and for challenge. And this is something I've been thinking a lot as Jackson is about to turn 13. I'm trying to think about, you know, is there a sort of a big adventure I can take him on for his 13th birthday or in his 13th year, almost like an initiation ceremony. And we're actually, I'm going to talk about that in this episode here in a moment as well. But just putting them in a position to have that adventure. Have you been intentional about that? Or are there moments that you look at already with, with JP and Liam where you have either intentionally or otherwise they have gone through some adventure and already started to answer that question for themselves? 100%. And I, I'm a big believer in a, a big trip at these transitional moments to begin the initiation into. So when JP turned 13, I took him on a backpacking trip. We did part of the Appalachian Trail. We backpacked around for like five days. It was amazing. Just the two of us, we had big, huge conversations about, hey, son, this is what is about to be on the horizon for you. This is what it looks like to be a man. This is what it looks like to have uh, sexual integrity and purity in terms of God's standards with your eyes, with your thoughts, with your body. This is, this is how girls are going to start to come at you. You need to be ready for this. And we had all these types of conversations uh, as we were just backpacking, adventuring, experiencing hardship out in the woods. And so I, that was you know a, a big moment in JP's life. We had so much fun on this backpacking trip that we decided it was going to be an, an annual event, is that we do an annual backpacking trip. So he's 14 now. So we've got two trips under our belts. And the last time we did this past spring, we did the Art Loeb Trail, uh, and the, it's in the heart of the Blue Ridge Mountains, and it is gnarly. It's it is stout, bro. It's steep. It's hard. And so on this second trip, we experienced a lot of, uh, you know, me being able to teach him through experience together, you know, what it means to push through the pain cave you know, and what it means to just grind when things are tough and what it means to 
pray and ask for strength from the Lord when you're physically exhausted, what it means to wake up at 7.30 in the morning and cook a quick breakfast and hike, stop for, you know, water breaks, snack breaks, et cetera, but basically hike until, you know, 7.30 at night, you know, I mean, getting those miles in with packs on our backs. Um, so it was an, that one was an amazing follow-up. And I intend to, you know, when he turns 18, to do a big adventure there that is initiating him into the next phase of life. And Liam, as he's 12 right now, about to turn 13 in November, he and I have got a trip planned. We initially were planning a canoeing trip down into the Everglades, canoe camping. And we, when we were one of our times at the coast this past summer, um, you know, and I tell the kids, like, I want them to be a part of planning the trip because it doesn't just need to be my vision. It needs to be a collaborative effort. JP, JP picked the trail that we were going to hike for his. And we picked backpacking because he was so intrigued by it at the time. He was very interested in doing backpacking. And Liam's been a big boat guy his whole life. And so we, I thought, hey, let's do a canoe adventure. That'd be pretty fun. And while we were at the coast surfing one week this past summer, he says, dad, do you think we could do a surfing adventure for my 13th? maybe go somewhere where the waves are like six feet, you know, instead of like two. And so we're going to go surfing. We're not, I don't think we're going to try to find six foot waves. <laughs> because I do think that that would be putting him in the deep end too much, too fast, but we'll try to go find some maybe four footers, you know, and we're going to do a surf adventure for his 13th. We're going to camp out and surf and talk about life. Talk about what is it going to look like as he transitions from, you know, his boyhood into becoming a full grown man. So it's awesome. And I think there's, we do small moments throughout too, that I encourage them to find adventure and danger and take risk and all those things too. And just daily life, that's important. But those are kind of the big ones or those big adventures. Yeah, that, that's awesome. And your kids also experience a lot of opportunities to answer that question just because of the nature of where they live and what you guys do for a living, learning to do backflips and put themselves in situations in the gym where, hey, my heart's beating a little bit. I'm going to try a new skill. I'm going to try a new flip, something that I'm going to see if I have what it takes to do that. And so they sort of live adventurous lives inherent in your guys' lifestyle. Sure. 100%. How do y'all, how do you find that for your boys? I know y'all are, you know, big time, you know, gymnastics might be thought of as an untraditional sport. And I know y'all are heavy into more traditional sports, com, you know, competitive team sports. Does that play a factor in the boys answering that question? And like, is that game, the game, game time clutch shot? Is it team player? Um, is that, is that part of your intentionality with them? It's not part of my intentionality because it's already happening. But I absolutely believe that sports are a way for kids to answer that question if it's fostered the right way. Again, I've talked a lot about Jackson and his cross country, but I think you talk about the pain cave. That's a good opportunity for a boy and a girl to halfway through a race when their legs are tired, their lungs are tired, uh, they feel like quitting to answer the question, am I going to quit? Am I going to walk? Am I going to throttle back? Or am I going to push through? And Jackson, I think, has been answering that question. In fact, just yesterday, he set a PR on the two-mile course. He had his fastest yeah. race ever. Yeah. And that doesn't happen if you don't push yourselves through sticking points. And so I don't even need to necessarily – I mean, we talk about it. We debrief. He was proud of himself. But I just know 
he answered that question in the moment. He had to have because if he didn't, he wouldn't have set a PR. It's just it's an inherent growth opportunity for boys to to learn, I think, through sports. Now, John Eldridge in the book talks about how he was not very athletic. He was never picked to be on the team. Sports was not an outlet for him to answer those questions. In fact, they put him in a situation where the answer to the question was no. He asked if he had what it took, and the answer was no in sports because he just never was good at it. He never was able to develop the skill for whatever reason. And I think this is where it's important to know our kids. And if one of your kids or perhaps all of your kids aren't very sporty, aren't very athletic. If sports aren't going to be an avenue for them to get answers to that question, we then need to be intentional about putting them in other situations. John had to seek it out himself and on his own started going out into the wilderness and and backpacking and doing some of the things. For me, I answered the question, no, that's not how I'm intentionally doing it because it's happening naturally. I am wanting to intentionally, though, find those other outlets for Jackson. Okay, fine. He can run, but can he backpack? Can he hike? What's going to happen you know, if we're doing rock climbing or doing an adventure that he's not naturally good at? Because that's where the rubber meets the road is when he's in a situation or any of our kids are in a situation where they're not maybe immediately good at something, are they going to give up? Are they going to push through? Are they going to stick with it? How do I then coach them and father him, them through failure? And uh, and so I'm going to, you know, I'm trying to be intentional about doing things like that. And so we have a trip planned this fall uh, to go to climb Mount Leconte, which is the highest point in the Smoky Mountains. It's not the world's hardest climb, but it's it's awesome. long. It's steep in in places. He will get tired halfway up. I'm going to take my 10-year-old as well and give Ooh. him an opportunity to do that. And so, you know, those types of adventures are more the intentionality. Uh, one other quick story to share. Earlier this summer, we did a high ropes course. And that was a real growth opportunity for both boys. And this was the example I said I was going to share about even my 10-year-old starting to answer these questions because my 10-year-old was more naturally fearful of heights than Jackson. Sure. Okay. Both boys were a little tentative the first time they're, you know, they're putting the the carabiner on the on the cable and learning how to unclip and reclip and all of those types of things. And you're always a little tentative when you're walking up these wobbly rope ladder steps and and the ground is getting further and further away from you. But Ben was literally gripped with fear to the point where he was hugging the cable. He asked to turn within about one minute, he was asking to turn around, go down to the bottom and just not do it. Yeah. And I had a moment where I I came alongside him. I had a, I had a conversation in his ear so nobody else could hear. I just sort of whispered through, I really want you to at least just do this first course. We're not going to quit on this first course, but if you get to the end of this first course and you don't want to do it again, you don't have to finish it, but we're going to at least finish this one. I will be here with you. I will teach you. I'm going to show you how to unclip and reclip. I'm here with you every step of the way. We're one step at a time, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He got through the first course, battled through his fear, got it down a little bit and wanted to keep going. And we kept doing harder and harder courses and and he did the whole thing. And by the end, he was clipping and unclipping and he felt so proud of himself by the, at the end that he had faced a fear, that he had overcome his fear. And it was an opportunity for me to move alongside him and father him through that. And so those types of things I think are, are valuable opportunities for kids as well. That's amazing. And it's, it's awesome, I think, and I don't know if this is just God's 
flex and his humor and all that. But, you know, John Eldridge talks about the question being, do you have what it takes? And, and in that ropes course experience, you know, we have to we have to face adversity and face fear head on to answer the question of, do I have what it takes? Right. You're not going to answer the question sitting on the couch. That's right. Watching the movie. You know, you have to get out there and do hard things, do things that actually are scary to you, right? And so I think as men and fathers, we need to model that and experience that ourselves, lean into things that are scary. And hey, that might not be a ropes course. It might not be scary for you as a dad, you know, it might not be scary for the listeners. Clearing the house, you know, might not be scary for some guys. You know what I'm saying? These guys, Navy SEALs, right? whoever army guys, or just now it's not scary for me to clear the house anymore because I've done it plenty of times. Um, maybe these things aren't scary, but what might be scary is having a heartfelt conversation with your wife. True. Sharing some deep emotions with one of your buddies that you maybe don't want to tell anybody that you're experiencing. Right. So it doesn't necessarily have to be some macho challenging ropes course clear the house thing whatever for us as men to lean into something that's uncomfortable it might be expressing emotion with your spouse you know like i said it could be anything like that but i think we as fathers as the head of the house need to be modeling that and need to be leaning into things that are uncomfortable uh for us even now you know i mean we're certainly you and i uh, been married a while. We've been dads for a while. You know, we've been walking through life for a while. We've been men for a while, but that doesn't mean we still can't find opportunities to lean into things that are challenging, that might create anxiety, that might create apprehension, a discomfort for us now to answer the question, do I have what it takes? And I think as we practice that and model that in our own lives, it equips us to help facilitate that for our children that we're raising up. You know, one of the things I've done in the past, I'm not doing it currently, but maybe I'll start again, is to uh, is to take cold showers. And so that is an unpleasant thing to do. Yes. And it's not fun, but it creates, you know, a grit, you know, situation um, that doesn't matter how many times you take a cold shower, when you step into that, it's always unpleasant. And this is where the blurring of the lines of the stages comes in. There are opportunities, even in our warrior phase, where you're maybe trying and doing things for the first time in your career. Remember the first time I had to give a sales presentation on my own without a mentor? Do I have what it takes? There are the butterflies, and you're stepping into something new and unknown for the first time. So there are always opportunities, and I think that's the whole takeaway here is looking for opportunities ourselves to push the boundaries a little bit, to take some risks, to continue to answer this all-important question in our own lives, even into our 40s, 50s, 60s. I still want to be having adventures and learning new things in my 60s and 70s, God willing. But then also intentionally thinking about ways to initiate our kids now, if you have kids, going through this cowboy phase. And so Putting them, putting them in positions for a challenge or adventure. A couple other thoughts I had was don't criticize them when they fail. It's it, look, look for opportunities to actually step in and father them, initiate them, help them answer the questions, help them handle the adversity, help them maybe take a, a smaller 
a smaller level risk. Okay, you, you didn't succeed here. Let's throttle it back just a touch. Let's have a small win, now a slightly bigger win. Let me help you through the stages of learning how to do this new thing or achieve this and build up your confidence so that you can powerfully and confidently answer that question. It's easy as fathers sometimes, I think, to, to be critical of our kids when they're not doing something right or they don't succeed at something, but let's instead mentally come at it from a different place and realize that it's our, our, it's our job really to help initiate them through, through this cowboy phase. And then I think the third thing is also to, to make your kids work, to, yeah. to make sure they have jobs. You know, so many, so many kids are coddled these days. They get all the way until they go off to college and maybe they never even had a job. Well, they're so busy with after school sports and they just don't have time to have a job and I'll just continue to give them money until they go off to college. Well, <laughs> well, then you're supporting them their whole lives. They never learn how to work for what they want in life. You know, make them get a job and make them get a hard job, not just like a desk job or not just something that is, you know, just you know, data entry or something like that. Although there, there's, you know, there is a certain amount of work ethic and responsibility that comes from that. But, but with my own kids, I'm certainly going to think about as Jackson moves towards maybe being ready for his first job, what are some physical labor types of jobs that he can handle, even if he's not going to like it tough, you know, it's like, it's time for you to do some of this type of stuff. And, and we live on a small farm. So, so he's learning hard work. He's out there already with us, uh, mucking stalls and, and fixing fences with me and working in the garden and putting in hours of work out in the hot sun, you know, weeding the garden and all of those types of things. So, so they're learning some of that, but I would say, look for ways to put your kids in position where they have to work hard. Yeah, a hundred percent. And that's, you know, I've thought often about some of my experience through the Young Life organization, which is a Christian outreach for high school kids. And I would go and work as a volunteer in the summers because it is ministry based. But um, I would go and work and volunteer in the summers as a horse wrangler. And I think back to my own development of work ethic. You know, I remember waking up. Before the sun's up, going out, cleaning the stalls, cleaning horseshoes, getting all the tack ready, doing all the stuff, brushing the horses, all the things for 32 horses that you're going to take four or five different trail rides, you know, throughout the day. I remember learning in those times of my life and being able to answer the question of, I do, you know, do I have what it takes? Yes. There were times when it was just dog tired. I don't want to work another day. My muscles are sore. I'm achy, but the job is there and I need to do it. What happens? Rise to the occasion. And that helps you answer the question. Yes, I do have what it takes. And then I can think back to a few chaotic experiences. You think, you know, you got a group of, you know, college students leading a bunch of high school students on horses through the California backcountry, you know, and horses that, yeah, you know, are been in pasture all winter and all that. So as you know, as a, as a person or been around horses, there's a recipe for a potential disaster there. And I remember a few trail rods that we had that went south fast and just horses throwing kids off, horses <laughs> running through the woods, chaos. I mean, like, just imagine the, like, Nobody was like strapped to a stirrup getting drugged. So aside from that, nobody got trampled, but it was just chaos, you know, and 
I remember one ride, I was, there were so many kids that had gotten thrown off their horses and they were petrified. The horse's energy was frantic, stress energy. Nobody was getting back on the horses. We were walking them back to the corral, back to the barn. And I remember having like four horses, you know, like by the bridles and just like, you know, the ornery, the most ornery horses out of the bunch, you know, and just manhandling, you know, four horses at a time. And that being a moment in my life of going, yeah, you know, I got what it takes to, to literally be a cowboy in the, you know, in that cowboy stage. That's cool. Those are some fun times for me. So I think putting our kids into those hard work situations where you, you get done with work at the end of the day, you get your shower, you eat food and you literally crash. Yes. Like that is a good environment for us to intentionally put our children into as they're growing into, you know, adulthood. Well, good. Hopefully this has been some food for thought for everybody listening, getting the wheel spinning and thinking about ways to intentionally initiate our kids through the cowboy phase. And as we sort of wrap up this episode, I just had one final thought to at least raise, but not necessarily answer and almost tease maybe a future episode where we, where we talk about this in more detail. And it just sort of, as I was thinking about this, it really sort of dawned on me that we are one of the one of the rare cultures that doesn't have an actual initiation ceremony for our kids to help them become a man. Do you, by the way, Perry, do you have any Jewish friends or did you ever attend any bar mitzvahs or bat mitzvahs when you were growing up? I did, 100%. Yep. So literally in the Jewish faith, there's an actual ceremony where at the age of 13, you're saying to these young men, it is time. It is time for you to transition. We are going to have a ceremony and we're going to invite all your friends and family and we're going to give you presents and all of those types of things. You're going to read the Torah in Hebrew that you've been studying and you're going to show the world that you have learned some things, that you've been intentionally trying to learn and grow, and it is now time for you to transition and become a man. Now, you can certainly argue that a boy is not a man at age 13. That's not even necessarily the point. They're still still in a boy's body but they are starting that transition point and they're allowed to now participate in adult things in the synagogue and so forth. And I think, I think that's just really cool, right? If you look at all the native American tribes, I just, I finished a book last summer called uh, the summer empire, empire of the summer moon about the Comanches, man, they were, they were a brutal tribe, but uh, but it talks a lot in one of the chapters about some of the rites of passage that the young men have to go through, not even in terms of, okay, now it's your job to go out and hunt buffalo on your own and prove that you can do it, although there's that element of it. But there's the spiritual component. You're going to spend time alone for a week praying and invoking the spirit gods and smoking pipes and spending time alone and and all of these types of things to prepare yourself and show that you're ready to transition into the manhood phase. I did a quick uh I did a quick Google search for uh some of these some of these types of initiation ceremonies around the world and and be glad that you don't live in in Brazil. So the Satiri Mawe people of Brazil have to wear a glove woven from leaves with hundreds of bullet ants 
where they have to be stung and in pain for 10 minutes at a time. They have to do it 10 or 20 times over several months to complete their manhood initiation wow. ritual, right? Uh, then in West Africa, in the country of Benin, these nomadic tribes, uh, the young boys have to have a whipping match where they whip each other with these whip-like sticks that have barbs cut into the ends of them and they're bleeding and the last one to flinch or the one to bleed the least or something is declared the winner. He becomes a man. I would hate to be the boy that participated in that and is bleeding and injured and doesn't now get to become a man and has to right. maybe do it again. So it's obviously a lot more than just showing that you're tough, showing that you have pain tolerance. It's not about getting bitten with fire ants and things like that. But it does raise an interesting question. And again, I'll sort of leave us on a cliffhanger here. But what would a modern day initiation ceremony look like for our kids? And would it be worth having? Perry already talked about hey, I'm going to take my kid on a trip. We're going to go backpacking for five days in the woods and we're going to have conversations and we're going to pray. I think that would count. Absolutely. But just a challenging thought to you, the listener, and maybe we'll come back and literally have an episode where we talk about what would the components be of a modern day male initiation ceremony from boy to man? What would the aspects of that look like? So interesting thought. I don't know if you have any initial thoughts before we then wrap this episode up. I think that's fantastic. And as the, you know, listeners are experiencing this, what I'm going to do is sit down and make a list, you know, of what the components need to be, because I've set out to do exactly that with my sons. Nancy's going to do it with our daughter when she turns 13 and 18. And, you know, as they go through these different stages, do a trip, but I haven't sat down and said, okay, these are the components that have to be met. I think in the back of my mind, I know what needs to be there, you know, um, but I haven't actually written it out. So I think it'd be cool to do that. I'm going to do it. And I would encourage, you know, listeners to do that and encourage listeners to plan a trip. You know, don't, um, don't let the excuses of the busyness of life get in the way of planning some kind of, you know, experience with your sons as they get into the transition of, you know, from boyhood to manhood into that stage. 13 is a great age, maybe 12, you know, maybe you take your kid at 12, maybe you take them at 14, maybe you missed it. Maybe they turned 13 last year and you go, man, I wish I would have done that. Guess what? It's not too late. Maybe they're 18. Maybe they're in yeah. their 20s. Now. Sure. Take them now. Absolutely. 100%. So don't feel like you missed that and it's not redeemable because it is redeemable. Maybe you did miss it. I miss opportunities all the time. In fact, I missed one yesterday with Seth. And I'll share this as closing to say, God's the great redeemer. So, so don't. Don't, don't let a failure squash your intentionality. Okay. So for me, here's how I failed yesterday. I had a guy coming over to help initiate JP into deer hunting because he's more of a deer hunter. This guy is more of a deer hunter than I am. And so he can show JP some things that I can't show him. Well, he brought this different type of deer stand that we've never experienced. It's um, like a tree saddle. I don't know if you've ever heard of these before or not. No. So it's a way to climb a tree without a traditional ladder stand or even a traditional two pieces of metal climbing stand. You literally have a what's similar to a rock climbing harness and some ropes and these little tiny bars that you put into the tree and you use those like a ladder to climb up. And then when you get to the top, you're just hanging by a rope in a harness in the top of the tree. Okay. So a lot of guys that hunt public lands are way into this 
style stand because it's fast, it's light, it's quiet. You can go hunt public lands. You're not hauling all this stuff. Anyway, he came over to the house to show us this thing. So we decide whether we're going to order one or not. And I was in a crunch for time. Yesterday was a crazy day. I was busy. I had so many demands on me. And I was feeling the urge to leave the house and get to the job site. There was a lot of things happening. And Seth, who's 10, is going, Dad, can I climb it? And I missed, man. I told him, no. No, bud, you can't do that. We got, we're in a hurry. We got, man, we got things to do. What a huge miss. Because in his heart, what's happening in that moment is he's trying to answer the question, do I have what it takes? And I didn't say, no, it's too dangerous for you. No, you're just a little boy. No, you can't do it, right? I didn't diminish it that way, but I diminished it in a way of, nope, we're too busy. I'm not going to give you the opportunity to try it. What a miss, right? And so obviously I know that we can't as adults just let our kids dictate our everyday lives. But you also know that Jesus probably had a more important agenda on his day-to-day than I do. And he stopped his agenda often for sidetracks. He allowed people to create a sidetrack in what he was doing. Important work, you know, saving people from dying. Um, you know, literal death from sickness. And yet I missed that opportunity with Seth yesterday. So I'm saying, Lord, help me. How can I redeem that? Please help me be creative and think of a way that I can redeem that for Seth of him answering the question, do I have what it takes? He wants to climb this type of tree stand. So I'll, I'll look for the opportunity to redeem that. But I say that big, long story to encourage everyone, don't let your missus, um, you know, squish your spirit a have some grace for yourself b learn from those mistakes learn from the missed opportunities so that the next time you have an opportunity come up take it don't let your you know agenda cause you to miss an opportunity to initiate one of your sons into answering the question of do i have what it takes take the sidetrack man whatever work is happening is going to still be there when you get done initiating your kid you know because our kid Kids are going to be grown and gone, and it's harder to do it later. I'm not saying you can't do it later. We can. I'm encouraging everybody to do that, including myself. But let's take those opportunities when they show up instead of just let them blow by. Well, I have been encouraged by this. I have tons of ideas already swirling around in my head about what to do with my own sons. I hope you guys as the listener do as well. I know that when I listen to podcasts, I'm often thinking along with the hosts. Oftentimes I think of things that, man, if I were the host, I would have said this, or here's another example of that, or I would have said this differently or whatever. Um, we welcome that feedback. So we'll make sure our contact information is in the show notes below. Send us a message, faithfulfatherhood2015 at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you guys. We appreciate all the support we've been receiving about the podcast so far and just welcome your thoughts and input and happy to share that. Anything that we missed the mark on, happy to circle back and revisit it in a future episode as well. So we'd love to hear from you guys. But for now, I will just bless you, encourage you, have a great rest of your week. Keep those five-star reviews coming, please. Share us with your friends, and uh, we appreciate you, and we'll see you or talk with you again on the next episode of the Faithful Fatherhood Podcast. Take care, everyone. I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying to be a good